Hey everyone, we're so glad you're connected with us today. We are continuing our series that we started last week called Discipleship Begins at Home. Last week we introduced this series by talking about how we need to demonstrate proper priorities in our lives so that we could pass those priorities along to the generations coming behind us. We all have a responsibility. If you missed that message, it's still available on our website, lakeshorechristian.com, or you could go to our YouTube channel. You could subscribe to a Lakeshore YouTube channel there and, and pick up any of those past messages that we have archived there. In Psalm 71, beginning with verse 17, it says this, since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. The psalmist understood the responsibility we have and, and prayed for the opportunity to fulfill that responsibility, to tell those coming behind him about the great works of God, the great teachings of God, the great acts of God. And we carry that same responsibility in our lives. Today, we're going to examine the need to teach the generations coming behind us the importance of communicating love, how important it is to, to communicate to them, to teach them to love like God wants us to love. There was a wife who said that she had given her husband the silent treatment for a whole week. And at the end of the week, he looked at her and exclaimed, hey, we're getting along pretty great lately, aren't we? <laughs> Not exactly the reaction she was looking for. We need to understand that, that communicating love needs to be something we decide we will invest our lives in. Because in the culture we're living in today, it seems like there's a lot of bitterness and division and hatred, and Christ followers ought to be setting an example of loving even in the midst of hard times and difficult things, even when there are disagreements going on in the culture. As governors and local officials are trying to figure out how to ease back into a, a new normal, I saw this posted on Facebook. A couple of people shared it. I tweaked it a little bit, and I wanted to share this, rem this reminder for all of us. Here's what it said. Some people don't agree with the state or the city opening back up like they are. That's okay. Be kind. Some people are still planning to stay home even after they're told they can get out. That's okay. Be kind. Some are still scared of getting the virus and a second wave happening. And that's okay too. Be kind. Some are sighing with relief to go back to work knowing they may not lose their business or their homes. And that's okay. Be kind. Some are thankful they can finally have a surgery that they've put off, and that's okay. Be kind. Some will be able to attend interviews after weeks without a job. That's okay. Be kind. Some will wear a mask for weeks after they're told they don't have to anymore. That's okay, too. Be kind. Some people will rush out to get their hair or their nails done. And that's okay, too, if they've been told it's all right to do that. Be kind. The point is, everyone has different viewpoints or feelings, and that's okay. We need to be kind anyway. Someone said we're all in the same boat, and friends, that's simply not true. We're all in the same storm, but we are in different boats. We each have a different story. If you need to stay home, stay home. That's the right thing to do, but be kind about it. And if you need to get out and they tell you it's okay to do it and you follow the rules, that's okay too, but be kind about it for those who may not be choosing to do that. 
The key is to set the right example for the generations coming behind us. And as Christ followers, we ought to be leading the way and what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves. Each week in this series, we're learning from different examples in Scripture about how we can disciple those coming behind us. We're looking at some who did a great job with it, and we're going to be looking at some who didn't do such a good job with it. We'll be looking at some that are parents, passing it along to their children, but we'll also be looking at some examples of those who weren't parents, but still played a role in discipling those generations coming behind them. Today, we're going to look at a bad example, what I consider to be a, a really bad example in the person of Jacob in the Old Testament. I don't care much for Jacob, just to be honest. The more I've read the stories there, the more I've read the account of his life and how he interacted with his children and his family, I just don't like him very much. He was a deceiver as a young man. He was wimpy as a middle-aged father. He was a whiny, self-pitying old man. He was always manipulating other people. Other than that, he was a pretty good guy, I guess. He was, though, a believer in God. And what I love about the Bible, one of the reasons I don't think it reads like a lie is it talks about people who loved God and believed in God who still messed up, who still had failures and letdowns and mistakes and bad decisions in their lives. You see, if it were trying to be a lie, it would probably cover all of that stuff up, but it doesn't. It's honest about the real life struggles that we all go through. And I think we can learn a lot from the good examples and from examples like that of Jacob that we're looking at today. I want to start by looking at what I believe are two major mistakes that Jacob made in his life when it came to discipling his family and his children coming behind him. We'll pick up in Genesis 37, just a, a, a small part of the account of Jacob's life and his family's uh, record there. In Genesis 37, beginning with verse 3. I would encourage you to go back and read more of the complete story of his life when you have time to do that. But I want to focus on this period in his life. It says in verse three, now Israel, that was God's name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. Now the word is translated robe in the NIV uh, and some translations it's coat. And that's where we get the idea of that coat of many colors that he had. It says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream that he had had. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Just from this example here, and, and we know the whole story. We know the rest of the story. We'll, we'll be talking about that. But just this intro to this part of Jacob's life tells us a couple of terrible mistakes that he made. The first mistake, I believe, is this. He did not communicate love to all his children the way he needed to. 
Notice it says that he loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And because of his favoritism toward Joseph, he, he had this, this coat, this robe made for him that was ornate. It was elaborate and it stood out. And, and the other brothers saw that their father gave him that coat and they didn't give, he didn't give them one. Now, I don't want you to think that what is being taught here is that we have to treat all of our children the same. That's not the point of the story. The story is they did not feel loved by the father the way they thought he loved Joseph. You see, it's not about doing exactly the same thing for every child. It's about loving every child. It's about loving those generations coming behind us. Even sometimes when they're doing things that, that we don't care for, when they're doing things we don't like very much, maybe they're not doing the things that are the things we would really encourage them to be doing. But that should not change the fact that we still love them. You see, it wasn't just the, co the coat. It was, it was the pattern they saw in their father. It says that they saw clearly that their father loved him more than any of them. And that caused them to have resentment, jealousy, hatred, bitterness toward their brother. You see, there's a universal need for all human beings, both to love and to feel loved. We all need it. And I'm convinced children need it most from their parents, the people who have the most impact and influence over them as they're growing up. And maybe it's not their, their blood parents. Maybe it's somebody else that adopted them and is raising them. It could be grandparents raising them. But those people that are raising them, they need to feel loved by those adults in their lives. They need to feel like they, they matter, that they're really cared for. And this establishes early in their lives how they feel about themselves. If they have grown up not feeling loved like that, then it's hard for them to understand and recognize the value they have to a father that the scripture says loves them so much that he would do anything for them, even give up his one and only son for them. You see, if they don't feel that value early on in their lives, it's hard for them to accept that God could love them like that or that God could love others that they don't care for like that. So it's important that this gets established early in their lives. So I think the first mistake was he didn't show that kind of love to all of his children. He, he only really made it known to Joseph. The second mistake I think he made was he did not train his sons to love others the way they should. God has taught from the beginning all the way through scripture that we need to love others. And we can't love God without loving others. That's part of what it means to love God. You see, Joseph's brothers hated him, but it worked the other way around too. It seems to me when you read this story that Joseph didn't show a lot of love and compassion to his brothers early on either. I mean, he's, he's talking about this dream and he's not even considering how that might sound to them. Even to his father and his mother, he's not considering how they might not take that well. He didn't have that perception yet that love would bring into his life. If you really care more about others than you do for yourself, then you're not going to take something like that and just present it the way Joseph presented it. It seems he just blurted it out like, uh, here's what's going to happen. You guys just have to put up with it, right? So it seems like to me he wasn't yet at a place in his life where he was really loving his brothers and his family the way he needed to. So I think Jacob had done a poor job of teaching all of his sons what it meant 
to put others ahead of yourself, to love others. In 1 John chapter 2, there's a passage that really emphasizes to us the connection between loving others the way we need to, how we learn what that love is about, and then how important it is, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, how we need to exercise that love. It says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. John starts out this, this passage by saying, this is not something new. God has been teaching us this the whole time. But it now has a new meaning or a new ability to understand what God's been talking about. Here's what he went on to say. He says, you've had it since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. You see, he's saying there's new depth of meaning to what it means to love others. And how do you know? How do you see it? How do you understand it? By looking at him, John says. The him is Jesus. It's what Jesus came and did for you and for me. You see, we can see it in a new way in Jesus and how he loved us enough to give up himself for us. Because he says the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And then he gives them this reminder. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is really still in the darkness. And anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. So he's saying that will give you a guide in your life that will keep you from stumbling when you love others the way you should. But he says anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. Now, if you're like me, trying to stumble around in the darkness, I end up hurting myself. I could end up hurting somebody else. You can't find your way well. It's easy to make mistakes and get hurt. So he's saying, if you still hate a brother or a sister, you're still walking around in the darkness. He says, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. See, that explains a lot about why Joseph's brothers convinced themselves it was okay to do what they were about to do. They decided they were going to take their brother out and they intended to kill him to begin with. But then they reasoned that maybe that wasn't the best approach. So they ended up doing something else. They sold him into slavery into some some traders that were passing through on the way to Egypt. And they sold him not caring about what happened to him after that. And it didn't stop there. They then took that that coat, that robe that the father had given him. And they ripped it up and they dipped it in blood and they took it to the father and told the father a lie. They said, your son has been killed by wild animals, ripped apart. We know that he, Jacob didn't see very well and they were trying to deceive him. And he felt like that was certainly probably what had happened there. And so he didn't have that understanding to realize they were lying to him. Which tells me Jacob didn't know his sons very well. They, he couldn't even decide or discern that they were being deceptive to him in that way. He was so wrapped up in the news, the terrible news that his son was now dead, the son that he really loved was dead, that he was just overcome with grief. And here's what I know about these brothers not loving others the way they should. They let their father think Joseph was dead and grieved that whole time for 22 years before it was ever revealed that Joseph was still alive. You see, they didn't care about the suffering of their father. They didn't care about the suffering of their brother. They were only looking out for themselves. Remember what John said 
that if we don't love our brothers the way we should, our brothers and sisters, that we stumble around in the darkness, which means we'll make all kinds of mistakes. When you read about this family history, it says during this time period, if you go ahead and read the account in this family, it, their record includes rape and incest and bitterness and brutality and murder all happen in this family. You see, when you don't love like you're supposed to love the way God wants you to love, it leads to all kinds of bad decisions, bad actions that hurt a lot of people. So he did not love all of his children the way he should, and he did not train his sons to love others. So I want to close today with two applications from those lessons that we learned from Jacob. The first application is this. It's the importance of communicating unconditional love to the generations coming behind us. The love of the Bible is the agape love that is self-sacrificing. It's seeking the best for the other person, not putting yourself ahead of them. I did a series back in February called Love Does. It's still on our website and our YouTube channel. You could go back and catch those messages where we talked more about that love. But that love is clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4. It says this, love, this is that agape love. It's patient. It's kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and then it says love never fails. You see, this kind of love is not conditional. It's not based on the performance of the other person. It's a decision that you make because of your relationship with God and then because you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus, you choose to love the way Jesus loved. You choose to love the way God loves us. And that's the agape love of scripture. In 1 John 4, John went on to say in verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. We ought to love with unconditional love. Why? Because that's the way God loves us. He set that example. You see, a disciple is someone who follows not just intellectually the teachings of your teacher that you're following, but is someone who follows with the intent of becoming like the teacher. Our teacher is Jesus. And, and God demonstrates his love for us in that his son, Jesus, came to be that atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus put us ahead of himself. It wasn't conditional on our performance because we sinned. We've come short. In fact, the reason he did this for us is because of our failures and our sins. If he only loved us when we deserved it, then we would be in real trouble, wouldn't we? We've all messed up. And so God demonstrates love that's unconditional. And if we're going to follow as disciples of Jesus, his life, his example, his teachings, then we've got to decide to love like that too. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, it tells us more about the unconditional nature of God's love. It says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future or any powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is steady and dependable and steadfast and nothing in the world that we do or anyone else does or that happens in our culture or our society will ever alter one little bit how God loves us. 
it is always going to be steadfast and true. He's faithful to love. It is unconditional. The second application I think we need to see from this example of Jacob is this. It's the importance of teaching those coming behind us to love others, to truly love others. In Matthew 22, you may remember Jesus is being asked a question by a lawyer about what the greatest commandment is. Here's, here's the account beginning in verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he did not stop there, did he? He said, and the second is like it. When he says like it, he means level of importance. Level and, and how much this matters. This matters just as much as the first commandment. He says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of God's teaching hang on us beginning at this point. This is, this is the base. This is the foundation for living and acting and, and participating with family and friends. This is the foundation for all relationships. Starts with loving God, but directly connected to loving God is loving others. There's some good news in this story. Later on, uh, Joseph goes through all kinds of problems and troubles. And you might think God wasn't loving him very much with all the bad things that happened to him. You can go back and read about Joseph's life, but it leads him to a place where he ends up being in charge of the whole nation. And he's, he's in a powerful position there in that foreign country where he was sold as a slave. Now he's running the whole thing. And there's been revelation to him from God that there's going to be a famine. And Joseph gets wisdom from God to, to tell Pharaoh, here's what we need to do. Here's how we need to respond. And they got ready for the famine in advance by storing grain during the good years. But here's what happened. Jacob's family, his dad, his brothers, they're suffering where they live during this time of famine. And Jacob decides the only thing they could do now is he could send those sons of his over to Egypt to ask for help. When they get there, guess who's in charge? The brother that they sold into slavery. And they don't recognize him right away, but he recognizes them. And he's got an opportunity here. The opportunity has two things, two different directions he could go. One would be to punish his brothers for what they had done to him. He had suffered greatly because of the decision they made. And he had not always, I think, demonstrated love to them like he should before that. So he's got to decide, do I exact revenge on my brothers or do I show love and compassion and grace and forgiveness? Well, if you read the rest of the story, Joseph not only showed compassion, he saved his brothers, he saved his family, he saved his nation. And God had used all of those bad things that had happened to him to put him in that position where he could show that kind of love that blessed the whole world at the time. You see, when we choose to love the way God wants us to love, it leads to good opportunities to make the impact that God wants us to make. In 1 John 4, verse 7, John went on to say this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world 
that we might live through him. God's not asking us to do anything for others that he hasn't already done for us. If you're hearing this message today and you've never accepted God's offer of love for your life, you know you could take that step today. It's a matter of acknowledging his love and being willing to say to him, I accept that love. I accept your offer of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And that offer comes through his son, Jesus, and what he did for you on the cross. And today you can profess Jesus as Lord and savior of your life. You can receive the love of his sacrifice into your life. His blood that he shed on the cross will cleanse you and make you brand new. And you begin walking as a disciple of Jesus. You can be baptized into Christ, rise up to that new life. If you need help following through in that decision that you're thinking about making, please contact us. We'll be happy to follow up with you and lead you and guide you in the steps that you need to take. Because today you begin, you can begin walking as a new person, as a disciple of Jesus. And with his help, you can not only be loved by God, but you can love like God those people around you, that he gives you the opportunity to influence. You can truly be an effective person discipling those generations coming behind you to love and follow God and love others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that we could even learn from a poor example of someone who didn't love the way they should and didn't teach that love to the generations coming behind them like they should have. Father, we know there's there are times where maybe we haven't loved like we should and we haven't taught it the way we need to teach it. We thank you for your love, which gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness. But Father, we pray that moving forward from this time, we can begin to demonstrate that love more effectively so that the generations coming behind us will know what it means not just to love you, but that loving you means loving others too. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.